know about Bobby's world? Are you, you recording this? <laughs> I am recording now. Okay. But she wasn't on mic, so this, it doesn't matter. So we don't know. We, this no, is solid gold. Nobody will. Have it know, is gold over here. Nobody will know about her Bobby's head. Hey, Bobby. <laughs> Pardon me. I used to love Bobby's World. That was such a good show. It was a good show. That's a really see. There were there were two shows from around that time mm-hmm. that I don't think get the respect that they deserve. Bobby's World, start, uh, created by who? Vince? Uh, Bobby Mandel. Bo- no, um, Bobby Mandel. You're close. Teacher, I didn't like teacher. Bobby's World. Howie Mandel. Howie Mandel. There you go. I, I never liked Howie Mandel. Really? I don't think it's funny. Yeah. I saw Howie Mandel in a movie from the 80s. He played like, I want to say he was like a mannequin that came to life, or he was like, he had the brain of a child, or something like that. No, he was a dog. He was a, a human dog. Okay. Yeah. And he walked with me. It was, it was hilarious. Usually I would say none of those have anything to do with one another, but it yeah. was the 80s and yeah. uh, the high concept yeah. film. And it was Howie Mandel. And it was Howie Mandel. And you know there was cocaine involved mm-hmm. in the pitch. What? You're always quick to throw cocaine in every because story. Because the 80s, cocaine is the secret ingredient. Anyway, the other animated show. Lethal Weapon 2. From the t- from the, t- <laughs> from the time. The cartoon series. From the time of Bobby's World mm-hmm. that nobody appreciates is Life with Louie. <gasps> By Louis Anderson. Chicken donut. I love <laughs> oh, Jordan's a keeper. <laughs> I'm letting you See, know. See, when you don't have a lot of friends growing up as a kid, you make the cartoon characters your friends. So I, I have a like a very thorough understanding of, of life with Louis, Bobby's World. We can go all the way. We can go to like gummy bears, Denver the Last Dinosaur. <sighs> like I know. Wow. We can go all the way back to like Jabber. I mean, that's predating me, but like Jabber Jaw, like all that stuff. Like I, Jabber, 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 Jabber Jaws. You don't know about Jabber Jaws. No, I know about that it. That theme just... song bangs. Thank so you. <laughs> Thank you. It does. These, it sticks in your head. These were not good cartoons, you all. Jabber Jaws. Okay, Jabber Jaws was. Jabber Jaws, okay, Jabber Jaws wasn't Ease. really. I mean, Jabber, I mean, Ease. Jabber Jaws is from that time when every cartoon show was a Scooby Doo knockoff. These are the cartoons if you didn't get really good reception. <laughs> That's not true. But like, you just wanted to watch a cartoon. You watch these. Car- you know what these car- these cartoons are one notch below, like the Christian cartoons that would come on Sunday. The Christ- they're below uh, moral. What was he? Moral Al. Moral or oral, moral, oral, moral, oral, moral, moral, oral, moral, oral, oral. Say that ten times. Moral, oral. What cartoons did you watch, Vince? I mean, we were talking about Silverhawks last week. Okay, and you know that's pure quality Thundercat knockoff. Well, actually, it was a Thundercat spinoff. It was they were all in the same universe, so that doesn't make it a knockoff. Were they? Is that true? Yeah, they were all supposed to be in the same universe. Silverhawks was not a Thundercat spinoff. No, but they were all supposed to be in the same universe. I don't universe. know if that's accurate. I'm positive. I don't accurate. know that's if that's true. I'm positive that's We're going to have to check that. Well, you can feel free. You want to jump in this? Survey said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we were more of like a mask household. We were I like. people rep for masks. I, mask was good. What yeah. you know about cops? <gasps> 
Don't play. I loved it. Okay. Uh, yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Cops, cops, the one with the brother with the Jerry curl, with the little Jerry curl, Jerry curl, curl the spit curl, yeah, Dick Track, Dick Tracy, Everything in the eight, all the cartoons in the eighties were like very high concept, yes. and you had like a wonderful theme song. Like yes. I was watching, I was watching the Raccoons the other day because oh, of that wonderful that. theme song. I have no idea what that is. It's about a a, a loving family of raccoons. There's a, a there's a, a husband raccoon, okay. a wife raccoon, okay. and like it should have had like another wife raccoon. Like well, there's like another there's like, like a, a another and husband. Polygamy. Yeah, it is kind of yeah, like raccoons and polygamy. Yeah, there's two husbands. Didn't last that long, did it? No, none of them <laughs> ever did. None of them. Did. You know, one one Kenny and like it's called raccoons, but it's like three O's <laughs> in raccoons. <laughs> Because it was about polygamy. I think it was from the same people that did like the snorks, I think. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, ugh, yeah. Ugh. I couldn't get down with the snorks. I love the fact that you like terrible cartoons. I love them. <laughs> I love them. Because the snorks, they weren't even trying. The they snork, weren't. It was like the snorks, colon, just waiting for the Smurfs to sue us. Yeah. <laughs> we're just waiting for them to sue us, but we're going to make this money real quick. And they made that money though. Yeah, they yeah, made like yeah. In a boat I consumed money. all cars. It didn't matter if it, it was. It, it just did, didn't matter as long as it was on Saturday mornings. It, it just, I was watching just it. Didn't matter. You just, just all of it. Kennedy always repped for, and this wasn't a bad show. It was Captain Simeon and the. Oh, I remember that. Monkeys. Yeah, I was about to say it was the monkey cartoon. Yeah, that was kind of cool. I remember. I I do remember that being kind of cool. Kennedy yeah. like wants to see that made into a live action movie. I was like, it wasn't that cool. But Captain Simeon, I don't remember that. Like, I don't recall. Y'all, like, I don't even feel bad about liking like Galaxy Rangers. Like Galaxy Rangers Galaxy Ra- is oh, like some me. Carl Barks level cartoons compared to what y'all are talking about. Galaxy Rangers was really good. It was. I can't remember the Galaxy Rangers. Dogs. It's all in the title. They were space rangers. Okay. They were fighting at the, it was writing it in the theme song, fighting crime on the new frontier. Everything in the eighties is high concept. High we have to concept. go to the future yeah. and bring it back to but like the had, wild they west. Were like cowboys. Yeah, 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 they yeah, had like yeah, space yeah. forces and yes, and it was yes. a black dude who, if you squinted, it was basically uh, Billy D. Williams. He was Lando <laughs> Calrissian, and he had a weird homoerotic relationship with the Han Solo character. I remember because his name was like Gooseman or something. He always used to call him my Gooseman, and even as a kid, I was like. I think they're together. That's nice. Because even as a kid, I was really progressive. You, you like to think so. Oh, I was. I was, you know, hey, man, be happy. Vince wanted everybody to be happy. That's what you wanted? Yeah. Which is why I enjoyed Raccoons, 3 O's. <laughs> there was a show. I, I wanted to make sure that I got it right. It was very short-lived, but it was like it was a, like American Japanese joint. It was called The Mighty Orbots. Oh, The Mighty Orbots was hot. That was hot. Hot, yeah, man. yeah, that was all right. That was good animation. Yeah, it was like robots, mighty robots. I was like fighting robots and stuff. And then following that was a real cute little show called The Littles. <gasps> I remember The Littles. The Littles, the littles. in the walls. I thought it was so adorable. I was obsessed with rats. The Littles, Maya the Bee. This oh. is when my family got cable. Like we stepped it up. Like my dad like stopped getting fired from his jobs, and like we were like, <laughs> we got cable now. We got Nickelodeon and Disney Channel. What? Nice. Um, Maya the Bee, the Littles, and David the Gnome. Oh yeah. Oh, David the Gnome was classy. That was like it a real classy. classy cartoon. Yeah. 
Like it was either British or it looked like it was British. Yeah. So you felt like it was classy. I always wanted cable just so, or I would always go over to my sister's house <laughs> when I was growing up because she had cable. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it was right, always right. like the, the oldest sister. Like, you know, it's got to be progressive. She had cable. So I could watch Fraggle Rock. <gasps> Fraggle Rock. Love me some Fraggle Rock. Fraggle Rock. Rock. Even as a child, I knew that I probably should have been high when I was watching Fraggle Rock and it would have made it better. You said high, right? High, like marijuana. You, like it seemed, it, it sounded seemed, like you said ha. Uh-huh. So it's like yeah. you should have been laughing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even been. as a kid, I felt like I needed to be chemically altered to really enjoy Fraggle Rock. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was a real druggy show. Well, I do think that Jim Henson came up with that during a uh, fever dream. Yeah. I do. But it was good. It was good stuff. I wanted to live. On Fraggle Rock. Did, did you? you really? Yeah. You did. I was into that. I it was, was too real, much yeah. going on on yeah. Fraggle Rock because yeah. they were little, but then it was the other things that were even smaller than mm-hmm. they were, and then it was the dog, and then it was the dude. It was too much happening on Fraggle. I was Rock. like, "This is my tribe. These are my people. I yes. need to live down in Fraggle Rock." Down in Fraggle Rock. <laughs> yes. So I guess we should do. We should show. probably maybe talk about a movie before I start talking about the Bionic Six. <laughs> Bionic, Bionic Six, And I would sit there like the dude in a beautiful mind and try and actually look for evidence that he was Steve Austin. Because mm. remember, they would toy with you like they would never actually say the words. Yeah. That Bionic One was Steve Austin, and I kept waiting for it. And I watched it. Like, I even ignored the black guy who, because he was a black guy, he didn't have a name. He just had initials. Black guy. It was like TJ or... HQ or they love naming black guys TJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause that's what we name each other. Mm-hmm. Cause it's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, TJ the mm-hmm. Jigaboo. I think it was smart though. <gasps> I'm woke. <laughs> I, I'm not even as woke as you, but you, you woke me. <laughs> I didn't even realize see, all this time I've been bamboo. It's insidious. Yeah, it's pretty insidious. Yeah. Yes. lament. That's not how you say that word. <laughs> Bamboozlement. We did that. Left and right. <laughs> hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Michelle Mission Two Men One Podcast. Every black film ever made. My name is Len, aka the Bat Triple. But as always, I am joined by my partner. Hey, hey, this is Vincent Williams. It's all soul Wednesdays, 8 to 10 on GTownRadio.com. Tonight, uh, we're calling it Audible. I called that we were going to be reviewing Black Belt Jones last week. However, that will be coming next week. This week, we are going to dip once again into the filmography of one Spike Lee and pull out from 1994... Crooklyn, and to help us along on this journey is the person that selected this film for episode 78 of the Michelle Mission on our road to the Wiz. She is the co-host of phillycam.org WPPM LP's other movie-centric radio broadcast Philly on location Give Your Love for Jordan Calling. Calling. Hey, Jordan. Hey, guys and girls out in uh, Toonland. How you doing? How you doing? 
How you doing, Jordan? Welcome. Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming it's through. Supposed to get weird. I've been here. <laughs> <laughs> now, th- before we get into uh, the movie, let's talk about um, your radio show that you do on Philly Camp, Philly on Location. You are the co-host because you actually have a partner on that show. I do have a partner. My partner couldn't be with us today, but his name is Terrell Brown, and uh, he's actually in Mexico right now taking pictures of something called the uh, the Mexican Predator, which is essentially just a statue of the Predator that they've done up in a sombrero and a really <laughs> i love every single solitary thing about that yeah it's pretty pretty awesome but uh yeah my co-host terrell brown couldn't be with us today but uh he sends his love all right much love now philly you on have location. to come through when yes, he gets he back definitely he does because we have to have all of philly locate on location you know represent our wonder twin powers have to activate so he's right. my he's my better half but i'm the better half of it better you, so, you know what i'm talking about so you get to turn into animals now, yeah yeah as He's opposed to various forms of water which yeah. is really stupid yeah it's kind of it's like half like wonder twin powers sort of like a captain planet type thing going on okay. but nobody turns into heart no. <laughs> as long as nobody turns into a tree then we're good to go right yeah. right right yeah. right now philly on location that is a show that talks about films mm-hmm. that are set in or have something to do with Philadelphia, is that correct? Yeah, so we started out with films that are set in Philadelphia or filmed in Philadelphia. Uh, Recently, we've kind of broadened our our movie universe scope, so we're also including uh, films that star or feature uh, Philadelphia actors. Okay. So we recently did Will Smith's I Am Legend, hated it. Um, Hated it? You said you hated it? Actually, it didn't age well, and on, upon rewatch, I was like, why was I scared of the zombies in this movie? Excuse me, the vampires in this movie. Right, <laughs> stupid, right, right. Stupid. Right. Uh, so that's what you mean by it didn't age well, the, the whole the special effects. Of the special or? effects uh, did not, the CGI is terrible in that movie. I actually like the movie a lot more than my co-host. We have a rating system where we give it, uh, however, out of five cheesesteaks. Okay. I think it. I think it got like one and a half cheesesteaks. One and a half cheesesteaks. Wow. Still enough from to Gino's. raise your cholesterol. Yeah, uh, and we also did uh, a couple of weeks back. We did Kevin Bacon's Footloose, and Kevin Bacon's family actually grew up with my father's family. They know each other, sort oh. of, kind of. So yeah, that's nice. That's cool. Yeah. So what did you think of Footloose? I loved it. Actually, I liked the last two minutes of Footloose, where everybody cuts Footloose. <laughs> everybody cuts Footloose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 I've only seen Footloose maybe twice, and I, and I was like, okay, this is cool. It was alright. I don't, I don't know what the big brouhaha, you know, the big rave about it was at the time, but well, there, cool. there's a time to dance, Lynn. I like dancing. There's a time to dance. No, okay, apparently. So. How, now, how did you come upon uh, doing the show? Do, uh, do you have a film background, Jordan? I don't necessarily have a film background, but I love films. Uh, I'm a big movie nerd, and uh, Rel actually has a, uh, I'm going to forget the name of it, so I shouldn't even mention it, but he's got an Instagram with lots of followers that's dedicated totally to film, not necessarily Philadelphia film, uh, but we came together and said, hey, you're my friend. We both like movies. We're both nerds. Uh, we both live in Philly. Well, he actually lives over the bridge in Camden, but Philly adjacent. Right. And uh, let's talk about Philly films and let's uh, make fun of them. And that's what we did. 
That that sounds suspiciously almost like how me and you started. It is pretty much <laughs> how we started. Yeah. How we started. It's very true. Like very she true. kept talking, and at one point I thought she was going to pull her face off and say, and I'm Lynn. <laughs> and I would have gotten away with it if it right. wasn't for you. <laughs> Damn shark named Jabberjaws. Um, <laughs> what do you... Um, is there like we're we are right now we're in the midst of the road to 100 to our mm-hmm. 100th episode yes which is congratulations by thank the way. you thank you it, it's it's still a little bit away yeah, yeah, well, you, yeah. 70 this is episode what 70 78, 78. you're close yeah, yeah we're, we're, close. we're, we're closing close. in yeah. on it yeah we're closing in on it and we actually spent this uh past weekend recording a very very special episode 99 that people will be hearing in a couple an of ultimate episode exactly oh. um but so, but we're holding back, you know, because of that. The you know, on episode one hundred, we're doing the Wiz because it's like one of the big, you know, those big tentpole. Right. I love the Wiz. A lot of people do. We're also holding back because it's like an epic argument that we've had floating and orbiting around our conversations. Yes. That you know, we think that the hundredth episode is going to be big enough. To hold it, to settle it. Da 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 da. <laughs> da 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 da. I love the whiz. You, see, if, that's what I'm talking about. I love the whiz. A lot of, see, but that's how a lot of people feel about the whiz, mm-hmm. and there's a lot to love about that movie. You hear him right. You hear him right. Equivocating. He's like our president, talking mm-hmm. about white nationalist. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. You I'm getting ready. You you gonna you gonna do that? I compared you talking about the whiz. <laughs> To our 45th president, Donald Trump, talking about Nazis. Wow. Here's the thing, Lynn. I feel like you can be ambivalent about the whiz. Mm-hmm. Nazis, I don't know. <laughs> You're right. You're right there. But continue. You see how I use that for effect. Thank you. Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's a lot of people. You got Nazis on one hand. You got other people on the other hand. People do things. Many sides. There's many sides. Many sides to Nazis and literally anyone else. You know how when Obama became president the first time and everybody was just so happy, can you feel a brand new day? Like, right. I actually played that out my window the night of the first election. As you should. Um Whatever the opposite of that is, is what <laughs> this is, what it feels yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah. Like like now it's like the scene from Network. I think it's just screaming in quiet weeping. Winter done come. <laughs> Winter done come. Yeah. Wow. There you go. That's right, the right. meme. That's the meme right there. Right. Winter done come. <laughs> <At> White Walker. <laughs> let yeah. me let me stop. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho. Anyhow, Jordan. Yes, sir. <laughs> what was I getting into? Oh, so as far as Philly films. Yes. Is there any Philly film that you're kind of like y'all holding back on? Like you, it's got to be a big. I would imagine probably. What is it? I, I got to. Well, we've been holding back on getting into the uh, what we're dubbing the uh, the Shyamalan 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 Okay. Yes. Okay. Right. But you touched on it a little bit though, if I remember correctly, right? We were going to, and then we didn't. So oh, no. uh, we're holding off for October. We're going to get into some of his uh, what a twist uh, films. Ooh. Start with some of the good ones. <laughs> finish off with some of the not so good ones. We'll probably end with. Uh, village you know the problem with the village that it's a movie there shouldn't have been a twist 
Like they should have told you up front what was going on. And yeah. I think it holds up if you don't think about, you know, you're so busy looking for a twist. And then the twist is kind of stupid. So then you're angry. I remember watching The Village and not to spoil a movie that's been out for like seven years, but watching it and getting the twist immediately and being like, this better not be where this movie is going. See? And then you were angry. Yes, I was very angry. Because it was also pretty obvious what the very twist obvious. was. Very obvious. And uh, a lot of like hard-hitting actors in that movie, though, it's, it's, it's perplexing that yeah. it could be that bad. Yeah. Well, you got to think of it. At that time, his name was still had some cachet in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So, you yeah. know, to be in the M. Night Shyamalan. Because that's pre-Avatar, uh, the last <laughs> a- airbender. Yeah. After that, all yeah. bets were off. I actually like The Village. I actually like, I the, actually vi- like the Village when you go in. That's a hot take. That is a hot I actually yeah. do I like, actually the like The Village, too. I do like the village. Yeah. Can Ooh. we come on your show when you do the village? We would love <laughs> to come on. We certainly can. We're going to need somebody village. in the village's corner because yeah, it won't yeah. be me. It won't be. For those of you that don't know the twist, apparently they were on Earth the whole time. Well, no, that was. I'm th- joking. <laughs> That's the twist to Planet of the Apes. I was giving a fake twist. Come to find out, he was really a man. That's the twist to the crying game. Also, the third man, a woman. I don't know if that's really the twist or not. You know what? I've never actually seen the third man. That has nothing to do with the third man. <laughs> you can tell because I've never seen it. <laughs> You're missing one of the great noirs of all time. Also, they had diplomatic immunity. That's now, Casablanca. <laughs> I'm actually back to Lethal Weapon 2. Is that Lethal Weapon 2 with dip- diplomatic immunity? Oh, no, you're right. That is the, that I is think that's Lethal Weapon 2. Lethal Weapon 2. That's not Casablanca. Which is what all roads really kind of lead to. Lead back to Lethal, lethal Weapon, weapon two. 2. The weaponing. The weaponing. Electric boogaloo. We would also accept this time it's personal. I like that. So. Come uh, on, Lynn. Stay on, ta- stay on task. I am staying on. T- no. <laughs> Shut up. Um, before we get. Before we get into, problem, I try to keep it linear. I try to keep us on task. So but Lynn so doesn't really. You know, I can I, I sensed that yeah. about you. I pray. Yeah. I pray. I stay in prayer. That's that's really yeah. What it that's is. what you got to do. Try get your prayer cloth try, on. Try and eat clean. Yeah. yeah so. We got a um, message. We appreciate everyone that reaches out to us via email or Twitter at Mission Michelle or. Facebook or Instagram at Michelle Mission. And we got a response from Robert Monroe Jr. Hey, what's up, Robert? Robert. He said that if HBO was really interested in creating a challenging alternate history television series, they could do one of Terry Bison's 1988 novel, Fire on the Mountain, which describes the world as it would have been had John Brown succeeded in his raid on Harper's Ferry with the strategic and tactical advice of Harriet Tubman and touched off a slave rebellion in 1859 as he had intended. Mm. Or they could use uh, Stephen Barnes' Injala series where in Lion's Blood from 2002 and Zulu Heart from 2003, he presents an alternate world where an Islamic Africa is the center of technological progress and learning while Europe remains largely tribal and backwards. Mm. Yeah, the problem with that is that 
slavery is cool, so we're going to make a show with, with showing how cool slavery I mean, I'm sorry, not that slavery is cool. Slavery is bad, but we're going to talk about a whole lot and depict it as we talk about how it's bad. You're right. Uh, at Noble Vessel, hit us up on Twitter uh, in regards to our review of A Soldier Story hey, hey. last week. Uh, said uh, saying that classic sadly saw Howard Rollins flex his acting chops and deteriorate on screen via in the heat of the night reruns on local TV as a kid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've touched on it. It's 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 one of the great tragedies. You know how Howard Rollins just sort of fell apart. Um, speaking of that episode, I do have to not have a correction, but uh, um maybe an extension of something that we said you, you remember we were talking about there haven't been any um many revivals since the original run and i mentioned that there was a revival with tay diggs in it and he played captain davenport yes. and that is true however i sh probably should have mentioned some of the other people in that the production because that, that that was a real blockbuster production i i mean um you know, um, this was 2002. You said th this, right? this was in 2005. Oh, James okay. McDaniel's Ooh, played James McDaniels. Sergeant Wars. Anthony Mackie played Peterson. Mike Coulter, who we all know from Luke Cage, yes. played uh, C.J. Memphis. Um, wow, I can't see him as and Memphis. a friend of ours and of yours, uh, Dorian Missick, played. Private Lewis Henson. So. Dorian Missick was in. Dorian that? Missick played Private Henson in that production. So and you didn't bring it up. And on I the show. didn't bring it up. And I'll let everyone get three guesses on who pulled my coat and said I probably should have mentioned everybody that was in that cast. And the first two don't count. And it was like you dummy. Mm. So. Mm. If you can't figure it out, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, stay tuned for episode 99. So. You'll figure it out. But yeah, that sounds like that was a killer production. Yeah. Like, that's just a murderer's I row. can see Anthony Mackie. He played Peterson, you said, right? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, and Mike Coulter as C.J. Memphis. I didn't know how perfect that was until I thought about it at this exact second. See, I don't see him. I can't. I, I, and maybe because I'm, I'm seeing him as Luke Cage, so he's like basically stone faced throughout that whole movie. Yeah, but he. So. I, I think he's a good actor, though. Like I, you know, I think he has a little bit of range, so I can see him I'm as sure. C.J. Memphis and that sort of country charm and okay, you know. All right, got you. The sort of problematic physicality mm -hmm. of Memphis, and you, you know, so. Jamal Nuh at Stormy J fourteen on Twitter hit us up and said at Mission Michelle. I got to strongly disagree with you on Ooh, The Good Wife. Strongly. It is one of the best shows out there. I Are strongly you? disagree with your strong disagreement. Do you watch <laughs> The Good Wife, Jordan? That's still on? Is that the no, Juliana no, no, Margulies? Yeah, it went off. I like saying Juliana Margulies, but uh, <laughs> that about it. Never watched it. I thought it was a good, solid show. I think it would have been the best show of 1987. <laughs> No, 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 no. I don't mean it like that. I mean, during that, like, I think you seriously I mean it like that. I think it is St. Elsewhere Hill Street bluesy level quality. See, see, all right, all right. Th that's not fair. Because, and maybe not St. Elsewhere to, to agree, even though I love St. Elsewhere. Yeah. But Hill Street blues is hands down one of the 10 best shows that have ever been on TV. I think Hill Street Blues is one of the building blocks of what we call sort of 
prestige prestige TV. television. But yes. I think you put Hill Street Blues up against Mad Men, up against Breaking Bad, up against The Wire, shows that would not have existed because of if it wasn't Hill Street Blues. Yes. But I do think those are better shows. No, those are better shows. But that's all I'm saying. And I think The Good Wife is the same way. It's a good, solid show. It just so happens to have been coming on during arguably the finest moment in television. Now, which one was The Good Wife? Was that Rizzoli or or Isles? No? (laughs) Wrong show? Right. So, you know. My bad. Hey, man. Yes. But... I strongly disagree with your disagreement, but that's why I love doing this. We should talk more. He about said he agrees with you on everything else, though. <laughs> oh, that means anything to you. Smart man. Smart man. Smart man. Now he's, he's the yeah, best. Now, ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but people so, rod with the good wife. I know they do. Yeah, people I, rod hard with the good wife. And I've watched it, and I was like, eh. You know. My wife used to watch it, so I've, you know, I kind of dipped in and out of it enough for me to make that assessment. But, you know. Oh, that's what makes this thing worth doing. Everybody has different opinions. I'm still working through my back catalog of uh, Frank's Place episodes. Frank's Place. So, uh, Don't worry, that won't take long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A shame, though. Yeah, it is a shame. Tim Reed. You want to hear? Here, here's a hot take. Here's a hot take. Oh boy. I never thought Frank's Place was as good as everybody said it was. <sighs> Frank's. See now, I'll give you that. That's it. I'll give you that. Frank's Place was as good as everybody says. Because of when it was on. It was yes. ahead of its time. Even when it was on, like I felt like I had to watch it just sort of as a responsible black person. Like all yeah, the responsible like as a responsible black person, we all had to watch Frank's place. And I watched it and it was all right. But I was just like, Yeah, if this one Frank like if I want a responsible black person, I don't know if I'd be watching this. It's like the second verse of uh, Lift Every Voice and Sing. Yeah. That is so perfect, it's ridiculous. Frank's place is a second ver- a verse of Lift Every Voice and Sing. Sing a song. That's how I used to sing it in school. I was about to say, I don't know about the jazz hands. Yeah, jazz hands. <laughs> All right, so it's um, time for us to get into 1994. Alfre Woodard, Delroy Lindo, yes, Spike Lee's Crooklyn. Sorry, Gray. You sorry why? Sorry I called your mother a hog. And you sorry about teasing me about being left back three times, about being on welfare, about me and my brothers having three different fathers. I'll bite already. I said I was sorry. This time, Spike Lee takes a whole new look at growing up in his old neighborhood. Is the TV on? No. No, daddy doesn't want to fight and yell. All daddy wants to do is play his music. In a place called Crooklyn. All it took to keep it together was a little love, peace, and soul. Alfre Woodard, Delroy Lindo, and introducing Zelda Harris. That's what family's fun. Gotta stick together, right? Right. Crooklyn, a Spike Lee joint. 
Crooklyn is a 1994 semi-autobiographical film co-written mm. and directed by Spike Lee that takes place in the Bedford-Stuyvesant neighborhood of Brooklyn, New York during the summer of 1973. Its primary focus is the young girl, Troy, played by Zelda Harris and her family. Throughout the film, Troy learns lessons through her four rowdy brothers, her loving but strict mother, Alfre Woodard, and her naive, struggling father, Delroy Lindo. A distinctive characteristic of Crooklyn is its soundtrack, composed completely of music from the 70s, except the hit single Crooklyn by the Crooklyn Dodgers. Uh, similarly to School Days, Do the Right Thing and She's Gotta Have It, Spike Lee appears in Crooklyn. He plays a young stoner named Snuffy who likes to bully the local children. This is only the, this the second blue. of only two films directed by Spike Lee to earn a PG-13, a distinction it shares with Malcolm X. This movie, which stars, uh, uh, along with Woodard Lindo and Zelda Harris, Carlton Williams, Sharif Rashad, Chris Knowings, David Patrick Kelly, Jose Zinga, Isaiah Washington, Forrest Foster, uh, Spike Lee's sister, Joa Susanna Lee, who actually has a writing credit on the film, Vondi Curtis Hall, and in the uh, very uh, scintillating cameo of Connie the Bodega Woman, <laughs> you have none other than RuPaul. <laughs> and this film was the selection of Jordan Nollings of Philly. Calling. <laughs> Just Nolling. Close enough. It's fine. Uh, of Philly on location. Jordan, uh, what say you of Spike Lee's Crooklyn? Crooklyn may very well be my favorite Spike Lee movie other than Do the Right Thing. And the reason I say that is because it came along right when I needed it. It was right in my wheel wheelhouse. So uh, the character, she's like you said, she's growing up in 1970s Brooklyn. Um, I was growing up in the late 80s and the early 90s. Um, the film comes out, and my dad takes me to see this movie in the movie theater. Mm -hmm. And they show Troy. And I just bust out crying. Really? Wow. And I, at the time, I didn't understand why I was getting so emotional about this film. Because like you said, the beginning of the movie is very light. It's not, you know, this heavy emotional thing to start out with. Um, looking back on it, of course, I realized that I had never watched a movie where the protagonist was a young black girl that looked like me and was going through similar things that I was going through at that time. And it just shook me to my core. And I just, wow. tears were streaming down my face. I was shaking. And I just, I have this affinity for Crooklyn. It's not a perfect film by any, by any stretch of the imagination, but it's probably, other than Do the Right Thing, is my favorite Spike Lee movie. All right. Now, how old were you? When you, you it came out in 94, so mind your business. <laughs> she was she was a girl. I was a girl. A young slip of a girl. I was a young... What, uh, what were you in Brooklyn? I mean, where were you? I was living in uh, Jersey, I believe, South Jersey. I'm originally from Los Angeles. My family moved to Santa Monica, and then we relocated uh, out east to uh, South Jersey, and then later to Philadelphia. 
Um, so I was going through, uh, so I'll just draw some parallels uh, between my own life and this film that really struck me. Um, Delroy Lindo, uh, otherwise known as uh, LeBron James <laughs> doppelganger, um, plays this character, this, this patriarch of the family who is a struggling musician who's always just looking for that next hit, trying to get put on, trying to get put on. Um, my dad, growing up, my dad was a guitarist, he's still a guitarist. He's a session musician for the Stylistics and for oh, Harold wow. Melvin and the Blue Notes and uh, for the DeBarge family. Uh, he was always chasing that next hit, always yeah, trying right, to right. kind of was in love with music and it was his first love, sometimes to the detriment of his family. And, and I'll say that to my dad's face. He knows I say it lovingly. Right. Um, so that character in the film is not the most responsible uh, father. He's you know focused on doing these gigs and and his big show that he wants to do, and he's not bringing home you know the bacon to the family. Uh, and we struggled with that in my family. My dad was on tour a lot. He was out of the country a lot, and my it really fell onto my mom to kind of be the primary caretaker, the primary breadwinner some of the times. And it was it was stressful on How our family. How many was it at home? It was me and my two younger brothers. So I was the oldest. Oh, okay. I really um, I don't remember if uh, if I always want to call her Zelda. That's her. That's the actress's name. Troy. <laughs> Troy. Troy. I don't remember if Troy was the oldest. I think she's not the oldest. No, she's no, not no. She, I think she's right in the middle. She's yeah. in the middle, but she definitely, because she's her her mother's daughter. She definitely yeah. has this like motherly uh, attitude, and and I, I always think of her as being the oldest, just because of how much her brothers right. are like cutting up. Um, and she has to step up. She has to step up. Uh, I was going through that in my life, being the oldest of two younger brothers dealing with a mother who was like stressed a lot and having like kind of sort of a tumultuous relationship with my mother because she was so strong-willed and I was so strong-willed mm -hmm. and kind of butting heads. This movie just hit me like right in the feels like right yeah, right yeah it knew what it was doing. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, I think it's his warmest film. You, you know, I don't think I'm I'm kind of like you like I'm going to do the right thing person. Yeah. I think there's a warmth that comes off of this film. Right. That doesn't come off of any of his movies, and and you know said like you know part of the reason I love Spike Lee is he has that edge, like he does have this hard edge, but this is 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 heartwarming, and you know I think that has maybe all to do with the fact that you know it's based on a story by Joa Lee and and Joa and her, two of her siblings, mm -hmm. uh, Spike and Sinke wrote the script, mm -hmm. right. so it feels much more collaborative. Mm -hmm. than than anything that he's done, so I'm a big I'm a big big fan of this film. But you know, like I've joked about already, like I love this film, and I think I love it so much that it it's actually devastating to me when it ends with the the, the death of of Troy's mother. It is that is like really um, heartbreaking uh, when that does happen uh all the more so because alfred woodard is doing such a good job yeah portraying um this this matriarch of this family throughout the entire film uh and when you say that there's a warmth to it there definitely is a warmth to this film the, what i was left with watching this film is that this is one of the few films of spike lee's that has you know fully rounded you know 
female characters. Oh yeah, in here. Oh uh, yeah. Like, there's always like with others in his other films, the the women are either one note or they're not fully fully formed. There's always something just not just a little off, um, and I think it's telling that you know Joie and Cinque had their hands in this film in, in the portrayal of um, not just Troy who was definitely shown as a fully well-rounded young yeah. girl I mean like you're talking about like she has to step up and because her, her brothers are always cutting up mm-hmm. she's cutting up just as bad as yeah. her brothers yeah. right I mean right. she's a little klepto mm-hmm. right you know what I'm saying yeah. she she is she is no she's a, I, and she gives as good as she gets she gives as good as she yes, gets sir. she is the one that you know as much as her brothers are bigger and and push her around she's the one that's always she's the one that's the pit bull and mm-hmm. they, they sick her on everybody yeah you know what I mean um and uh she is she gives it back to her mom lies lies like like i don't know what i mean she but that but that is a young girl and you can see part of that is like any young girl at that at that age especially in the 70s especially with with the mother who was doing what she was doing always out working and grinding like mm-hmm. that they lean on that on that little girl mm-hmm. to be the mother to be the mother in the house and the 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 little girl is always at first a little, you know, resistant to that. They're rebellious against that. And she is rebelling like a mug in his chewing. But she, um, so much so that you, you're, you're so used to seeing her like almost in, like with this permanent scowl, half mm-hmm. or half scowl on her face, that when she, you know, later in the film goes off to the suburbs with her cousin and gets you know her braids unplatted out it actually is like wow look at her smile look at her running around look she looks she looks she looks kind of cute in a little in a dress right running around being a little girl you know that's my favorite part of the of the movie uh not just because of queenie poor queenie <laughs> oh poor queenie poor queenie but i love the the style choices that Spike makes in that part of well the whole film but that part of the film oh yeah uh I don't know maybe like the aspect ratio is kind of off so you Mm -hmm. feel like something like I'm down south something's off kilter and I remember you know I'm a I'm a northern girl but I remember my family is like originally from Fayetteville North Carolina and Mm. I remember going down to Fayetteville for a reunion and everybody talking to me and and, and I'm sorry I can't understand you what do you you say and just feeling like (laughs) so like fish out of water right uh but knowing that these this is my kin Mm -hmm. so I think he really did an an excellent job of kind of replicating that feeling Uh, it touches slightly on it doesn't like have to be explicit with it but it touches on like the 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 colorism issue that we we have uh, especially with women black women uh, or women of color Uh, it's just wonderful and Queenie yes oh Queenie it's it's funny you were talking about the well-rounded women characters in this film and and I you know thought the same thing and you know and again I think it's you know it, it seems kind of obvious but I think it's also worth saying as you said I think it's because Joa Lee had such a big role in creating this film mm-hmm. and I've always enjoyed um I've always enjoyed Alfre Woodard in this film I've always enjoyed you, you know Zelda Harris but even on the level of supporting characters or just like I really really admired 
Aunt Song's characterization in this film, where you know it's like she's the you know halfway snooty, like you said, suburban, bougie aunt. Mm-hmm. But she she's not a caricature. Like you know, she has this relationship with this dog. There's this edge in her relationship with her husband of and Vi- her stepdaughter and her stepdaughter Viola, and she's an actual person. Like you get the sense that when that that before Troy comes to this house and after Troy leaves this house, this is a person. Yeah, and you know it's it's funny when the little dog dies because you know you don't really like little rat dogs or many of us don't. And but you kind of feel for her, like you feel that, and and I like that little touch. You feel for her because you know because at her heart you feel that she um, definitely has only the best intentions Mm -hmm. she's not like the evil stepmother in any type of way or the Mm -hmm. wacky stepmother she is actually just trying to raise this young girl right because as much as there it's a a a rebelliousness between viola and her at the end of the day viola when they are sitting in the living room playing or watching tv and like this old churchy thing comes on Viola's singing a song. Oh, yeah. She likes the song. And you mm-hmm. know that's only because Aunt Song is making, that's what she's seeing. And then that pays so beautifully forward later in the film when you see that Troy, who seemed a little like, what is going on when this song was coming on first? Now she's singing it to herself. Yeah. One, two, three, the devil's after me. Oh. Yeah. Just as a way of her dealing with, you know, the beginning to be deal with the aftershock of her um, yeah. mother passing, man. I think that is I think that was um, very well done. And the whole aspect ratio thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When he when he does change it, I think that is so smart because the rest of this film is it definitely has the trappings of the 70s, the soundtrack, the, sure. the, the clothes and everything like that, the, where they're living, uh, the furniture. Everything is definitely 1973. But so you feel like you're watching, uh, you know, life in 1973. Mm-hmm. When she goes to the suburbs, you're watching. If you could put on a movie from 1973, that's how it would look. Mm-hmm. And she's in that other world. She's like, I was just like, I stepped into a movie, mm-hmm. right, right, you know. Right. And I and and I thought that was really a very smart. And I think the other way that he shoots Brooklyn, you, you know, with the the color saturation and the and the choices that he makes with the sets, appropriately enough, as we talk, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think anyone loves Brooklyn as much as Spike Lee. Like, like there's a continuity between the films. Mm-hmm. with how Brooklyn looks. Oh, yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, even though it is in 1973, it's still Spike Lee's Brooklyn. So that, you know, I agree with you. I think it's even more jarring right. when she's removed from Brooklyn. And it's and like you said, it's like she's now in a 1973 film and he because sets Brooklyn you, is timeless. And he mm-hmm. sets you up for that because as they're driving along, they pass a, a, a marker. Right. That says I think they're going they're going to Baltimore, Maryland. That's actually, you know, stock footage of the sign. Then they get into I think they're in Chesapeake. Yeah. That is computer. Mm-hmm. And with a fake green screen a green screen ba- backdrop. After that, the rest of that car ride is all fake. Right. 
it's all fake right. into that movie world. It's so damn smart. I see. I don't give Spike Lee a, a whole lot of credit, but yeah. when a brother got credit due, I will give I mean, a brother credit. This, this is somebody who has one. been to somebody's film school. Yes, that was that was very 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 well done. I liked it. One thing I think that this movie does really well, we talked about, you know, these well-rounded female characters and, and you know, Aunt Song having agency and, and, and you know, Alfred Woodard's character having agency and kind of like jumping off the page. Uh, I think that one thing that hit me watching this film as a child and then hit me again re-watching it as an adult is the movie made it okay to be sad. And it, and it wasn't so much that, you know, you gotta be a strong black woman and you can't let anybody ever see you, you know, weak, you can't let anybody ever see you. I mean, you know, Troy's a strong little girl, mm-hmm. yeah. but she's also dealing with uh, depression. Yeah. yeah. Even before her, her, uh, her mother passes away, she's dealing with some things inside where she feels very awkward in her own skin and I could definitely relate being like a little weird like tomboyish kid you know on my own I could really relate to that and that kind of sadness that you walk that walks around with you Mm -hmm. that you that you that you live in and uh I think that one of the one of my favorite characters and I'm going to forget her name but uh, plays like another aunt a younger aunt oh Joali who plays on that oh yes 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 who kind of uh doesn't have a huge role, but is very comforting and very like, you know, it, Siri wants me to say something, excuse me. <laughs> it's very comforting and it, you know, it's okay to be sad, you know, but you gotta get up. Yeah. And I, I really appreciated that in the film. Uh, I'm gonna start crying. Oh, okay. well it's okay to cry. Sort of meta textual. I mean, if this is sort of loosely based on their lives, I'm assuming that that aunt that Joali plays mm-hmm. apparently played such an important role in her life because now Joali is playing that character. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. this is one of three. We talked about this when we talked about Clockers. This is one of three Spike Lee movies where Delroy Lindo plays a father figure. Mm-hmm. And this is my favorite Delroy Lindo father because I, I, you know, I, I think it wonderfully captures the complexity of this man who, you know, is trying. It seems like he's trying the best he can. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't really know how to do it. You know, it's like it's like he's he's the best husband he can be. He's the best father he can be. He's very loving. But just it's just that little pe- that piece that he just can't fit in. And, I, you know, I never despise him. Mm-hmm. You know, I never despise him. But at the same time, I'm like, like you get Alfre Woodard's character's sort of um, frustration with him. Mm-hmm. I was just about to say that. Yeah. It's well earned. Which, you know, is a testament to, to the script, a testament to Delroy Lindo. Yeah. Because he's a whole, like, dude, you don't, this is your fifth check you bounce this month? I was trying to figure out where where all was he writing checks. What do you mean? Well, like what was like that's a lot of checks in a month. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I guess he was paying for studios, (laughs) studio time or something, man. I don't know. But I was like, yo, after the third one, in cool shirts, the key would have been. That's the other thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's the other thing. 
and that's what that's what's unfair about Delroy Lindo because he's a, he's a whole he's he's an f up the whole movie as as a husband mm-hmm. you know he's a loving father even though he's not the greatest father in the world either because he he totally like you know disavows anything his mom the mom says mm-hmm. it's like oh let him watch the the Knicks you know like bruh you know I call I mean? that seventies dad no that's not seventies dad that's <laughs> bad parenting that is like bad parenting right. But you can't be so mad at him because the brother just looks so cool. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. we back on, on on Black Tribbles, we did this thing years ago, like the like the coolest men ever, right? And like Calvin Lockhart was like voted as like maybe the coolest man ever. Yes. I take that back. You might need to change your vote. There is no man I have ever met who is as cool. Delroy Lindo was was wrong almost 85% of this movie and he was he still looked I might bump when he to went 90. to when he went to the funeral he looked like he was right on Germantown Avenue today that's yeah. how fly he yeah, looked yeah. with his Nairu shirts yeah yeah he's such a charismatic character you can see how if you were to go back years before the kids and before yeah. the bounce checks, how he actually, <laughs> how, he, how, how he, he got right, Aubrey yeah, Woodard. Right. How a woman who clearly is this intelligent would decide to have five children with this person. Yeah. Yeah. But I looked at, I, I watched it as a kid and I didn't get it because I wasn't a woman yet. So I didn't get it. I'm like, that's my dad. That's, a, that's all my dad do. It's, it's funny. <laughs> uh, and, it, and it's true. Like my dad was the kind of guy like come, come in from a tour in Australia and, and, and mom's like, you know, don't get a kid's no ice cream. And he hit his some ice cream. Like, that was my dad. But it's, it's funny because, you know, I'm not a parent, but we, we talk about parenthood as if it's just so, so easy. And maybe it is, you, you know, I don't know. It's not easy. Let me help you with that. But go ahead. But it's, it's right. Uh, but as far as like, you know, when you are an adult and you have these dreams, you have these goals, you have these ambitions, and then you have a, a child or you have a couple of children, and then you put that to the side or you put it on the back burner or you just completely put it away. Right. As if it's this easy thing to do. But right. it's not. So, you know, Delroy Lindo's character is he wants to, he just wants to make his music. He just wants to play his concerts and be happy. And it, and it, and you relate to it and it's understandable. At the same time, you know, watching it as a kid, I felt one way when I revisited it as an adult and as a woman and having been in a couple of relationships and 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 seen some things, I've seen some things. Mm. <laughs> you're like, "Wait a minute. Why don't you get a job? Why and why don't you, you stop bouncing checks?" Yes. Yeah. Let's start with don't bounce checks. Don't bounce checks. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, it's, it's all good that you want to make your m- music, but you ain't 25, bro. Right. You know, there comes a point, and you've got not one kid. You got kids. Not two kids. You are you are a Bobby short of the Brady Bunch in your I spot. thought you were going to say a Bobby short of a new edition, but. Well, very tr- well yeah. Don't forget Ralph, but. <laughs> Very true. Sorry. Well, so maybe it, you did, it, wouldn't forget John, um, Johnny in that equation. We don't speak Johnny's name. We don't speak Johnny's name. We don't speak Johnny's name. Johnny Gill is Dennis Edwards of New Edition. He'd been in New Edition longer than Bobby, than Bobby Brown. But Johnny he still doesn't get any run. came into the group with his good singing voice and <laughs> took all Ralph's parts, <laughs> all my squeaky, lovable chipmunk voice sound in Ralph's, Mr. Sensitivity. Look. 
I used to ride with Ralph too. Used to. I still do. Well, I did okay. until I said, all right. You know, Bell Biv DeVoe got their joint out. Yes. Bobby got his joint out. All yes. right, Ralph, show him how it's done, dude. Show him how it's done. He missed his sensitivity. He came out with my sensitivity. Sensitivity. <laughs> A man like A me. A man like me. Someone who will hold that. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. not a bad song. He even had a remix where he rapped. Don't yeah. hate. Don't hate. <laughs> no, trust me. There's nobody's no hate. hating. <laughs> There's no hate. There is no hate. Not Trent everybody Red. can be Bell, Biv, and or DeVoe. Actually, you need o- a Ralph. Actually, only three people can be <laughs> Bell, Biv, and DeVoe. It's actually right there in the title. You're right. You know, you're right. Like, it's not you're like right. Bell, Biv, and. Yeah. All the rest. Right. You know, it's not the first season of Gilligan's Island. And the rest. There weren't how, that many more. Why could you just I say? <laughs> were the professor and Mary Ann. Yeah. That they had to be and all the rest in the first season. Let me answer you. They were very pissed. No, they weren't. <laughs> they were just happy to have a job. They were happy to have a job. They wasn't sure this was going to last. You like, know what? How long can we be on this island? For real. You know my theory. The professor was behind all of He was actually r- running some type of sick, sadistic social experiment. Yeah. Yeah. The professor is actually the guy behind Lost. <laughs> You're joking, but it all makes sense. I know. Other great thing about this film, and at this point in Spike Lee's career, where he has, like, he's actually Spike Lee at this point, Mm -hmm. is you get all of these wonderful moments, these wonderful uh, actors in these itty bitty roles. Um, You you got Bokeem Woodbine. You got Bokeem Woodbine. Where is Bokeem Woodbine? Bokeem Woodbine is one of the gang. That throws rocks. He sits on the steps. Um, he's a you glue know. sniffer. Yeah, he's not a glue sniffer. Oh, no, he's not okay. the glue sniffer. You know no. the great Vondi Curtis Hall yes. as his uncle. You have um, as Delroy Lindo's brother. Yeah, Delroy Lindo. And wow, do they look like know, brothers? You mentioned RuPaul. <laughs> yes. And then you know my my favorite flame out actor Isaiah Washington as Vic. Those were the days. Like these back are, before you know, we knew. And then David Patrick Kelly as Tony. Like, yeah. This is only, you know, I only know him up from three movies. I know him from The Warriors, of course. Okay. I know him from Dreamscape, which y'all know about Dreamscape. Nothing. Exactly. <laughs> and I know him from this. But he's this weird kind of character actor that kind of shows up now and then with this kind of wonky energy. And I love that. I love these kind of, you know, quick moments. It's like 30, 45 seconds with each of these characters. I mean, Vic has a bigger, uh, Isaiah Washington. Isaiah Washington's character, Vic, mm-hmm. has a larger role. You know, has a, he has a scene or two. Right. He's returning from Vietnam. Yeah. And the movie doesn't take away from, the you know, the, the main story that it's trying to tell. But it, it does stop to say, you know, and this was also happening. Black men were coming but home. And uh, there was no, zero opportunity for them. A lot of them were on drugs from being mm-hmm. over there, seeing mm-hmm. what they've seen, doing what they've done. And uh, yeah, the movie's like, we're, we're going to kind of touch on that, just a little taste of it, and yeah. then we're going to move on. And to say it out loud, because we talked about her, and then we moved on. Frances Foster, who plays Aunt, Aunt Song, mm-hmm. is one of my favorite little 70s character actors. Yeah, you that always shows up. Prop up for her. Yeah, so, so you know, it was really good to see her. In a role. It was a little, all right, 
just story wise, this kind of there was a couple of things that like I bumped up against. One of them is when Isaiah Washington and his girlfriend comes come home and the lights are out. Yes. Oh my god. And and I know and I know that this was probably your father because mm-hmm. I know this this was me sometimes when back in my more you know Randy twenty days in the twenties when you know you you know you didn't pay that bill mm-hmm. and they're coming it's like. I know I paid. Well, do what you got to do because I know I paid it. So I guess you're just going to have to do what you got to do. So they cut off the electricity, right? And then uh, Isaiah Washington comes home and it's like, uh, like, yo, man, I, I pay my rent and like, y'all, the light shouldn't be off. I bumped up against that because, wait, they own this building? Yeah. And they're getting rent? Yeah. And they still can't make the the you know the, the get the bills paid and got, He's got a pot to piss in. He's, hey man. I mean like so five kids and bounce checks. That's what, that's what I'm saying. That's that's all the more reason like yo dude. Dude. He is very lucky cuz there's a whole lot of women who would have even in 1973 like I don't even think Claudine would have went for that. Right. <laughs> like you'd have got to get, get the gas out of here, dog. They owned the building, so they had money coming in, I and mean, you was messing that up. Hey man, that yeah, that I, I I bumped up against that. I also bumped up against when um when they throw a line in it to kind of explain it, but when uh they the kids and everybody gets into a fight with the next door neighbor. Yes. Who we don't know whether or not he's, he's gay or right. or exactly his nationality or whatever, but they just seem to be like just antagonizing this dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For totally no reason, just because it's what kids do. Yes. Right. right? And then it escalates into this big brouhaha. And then Isaiah Washington comes, comes down, Vic comes down and just straight like sucker punches the dude. Yes. Right. It happens at night. And we know it happens at night because it happened after dinner. And it, and it commenced after one of the children came out to take the trash out. Of course, that meant that he was going to throw the trash, throw the the trash in his yard. Mm-hmm. All right. Cut to Troy is at a store buying a whole bunch of candy. Yes. Now, first you think that, that she's just at this store, you know chilling you know she it, it cut to the next day but no she comes out of the store and it's at night it's yeah. that later that same night i bumped up against that because alfrey woodard doesn't have her kids out i disagree completely at, that alfrey woodard doesn't send her daughter across the street to the local bodega but no see i hear you on that if she bought milk eggs or anything like that all she bought was a bag of candy yeah I didn't have she doesn't send her that. to buy a bag of candy. First of all, you don't know that Alfrey Woodard sent her. Well, no, they they give a line reading, and when she does come in and has to break off the, her brothers, they say, "Yeah, you better break us off, otherwise I'm tell mom that you yeah. went to the store." So they give a line reading, but I, I I there's a part of me that think that was a little bit of ADR because that re- they really dude, it's, somebody it's thought five that five kids and at least three of them are just loud in in. <laughs> antagonistic there's no question in my mind that if this is semi-autobiographical joie lee moved in and out at moments when she wanted to okay fair enough i just 
I had to mention it. It was on my head. Yeah. I agree. I mean, thank you. Chief. As far as things bumping up against other things, uh, I would have to say that my only problem with this movie, unfortunately, is uh, Spike Lee's character. <laughs> and I wonder, and 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 that that's the third thing. That's another thing you just brought in my mind that that bothered me. But I wonder where you want to go. What do you mean by that? Um, snuffy. Snuffy. Yes. He takes me completely out of the film, yeah. uh, which Spike Lee often does right. when he uh, emotes, when he Shyamalan's <laughs> his own films. I guess he's the original Shyamalan, though. Uh, no? Or maybe Alfred. There you go. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, he completely takes me out of the film. It's a little too on the nose. Mm-hmm, I remember right. watching it as a kid and kind of being like, this was, you know, when you're a kid, all you know about drugs is, you know, don't do them. And you watch the the uh, the little videos you see at school. Oh, yeah. Right. And right. like you do drugs, you die. That's mm-hmm. how it that happens. Drugs that die immediately. Yeah. Or this is your brain on drugs. I watched a video. I remember in the fifth grade, we watched a video about not smoking weed. A girl. It was from the 1960s. We were in the 1980s, maybe the 90s. And the girl smokes weed. She smokes one J, because they call them J's, and oh. immediately jumps out of a third-story <laughs> window to her death. And I was like, whoa. That's accurate. That's accurate. I am never doing that. <laughs> That's hardcore. Um, However, that blunt, though, must have been the... Let <laughs> <laughs> me go do this heroin. What was she smoking? Um... But yeah, it kind of took me out of the film. But I remember watching it as a kid and being very like alienated from it, and in in a different way than I was from the scenes when when Ashway goes down south. It just had like, and they were doing something. You know, they had him like walking down the street upside down, and yeah. that was cool. But I just I didn't like it. I I don't know this for a fact. I've because I think like you said, I think Spike Lee's performances are oftentimes a weak link in Spike Lee films. Mm-hmm. But I do know that there was a period of time when his financing was connected to him appearing in the films. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if this was an example of that, but I always, you know, kind of acknowledge it and then I always say what I say cuz you know, this is the first time we've come up against Spike Lee in a Spike Lee movie. I mean, Love Him and Do the Right Thing. Oh yeah. Not so much in School Days. Oh, I like See, I see. I didn't like him in School Days. Yeah, either. I know. He, he didn't like him in School Days. I may actually have not liked School Days. I have to revisit that Uh-oh. movie. I don't know. Thirty percent more Tisha Campbell than I than I oh, than my taste. Oh, now you really? have stepped You're not into a Tisha it. Campbell fan. I shall back away from the table and let you and Lynn go for it. <laughs> I like her in moderation. Oh, that's Lynn's girl. Like Gina. The end. How you like that one? Wow. How you like that one? But, but, but I'm, I'm curious, why so? Something about, I think something about her reminds me of myself, mm. and I don't like it. Because I can be kind of annoying, and she annoys me in a way that I annoy myself. So that's the PC way I'll get out of that <laughs> argument. I like them apples. All Just right. BS. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, well, yeah. we'll take a time. I, I think it's, it's, it's episodic to the point where sometimes the the um the rhythm is jarring like how it goes from moment to moment mm-hmm. and and you know i i think i think that all three voices involved are so enamored 
and have such affection for this moment that there are points where where how do I want to say this? It's almost so reverently rendered mm-hmm. to be distracting. Like so that again, it's not like a continuous film. It's just these these sort of beautifully modulated moments. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the next beautifully modulated moment and after you get to like the eighth one it does it is jarring yeah i because there was um a point in this film when after alfred wooded character dies and um oh first of all what i thought you were going to say about the whole spike lee thing Mm -hmm. even though it was a dream I found it very disturbing when him and the other drug addict in a dream are running up after Troy yeah. and get her to sniff up that Yeah, that I didn't appreciate that. I did not scene. appreciate that at all. I mean, it's a nightmare, though. I know. Like, nightmares are disturbing. I know, I know, but I, I, I just didn't... I, to sniff glue, though? That I mean, imagery. That's what they were doing. They're glue sniffers. It's glue 1973. Sniffers. I'm going to come up with a rock band called the Glue Sniffers. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to say it just like that. But th- there was a, a scene after she dies. Um, Troy is waking out of her sleep because she hears her mom and dad arguing downstairs. Right. God, mm-hmm. man, this has not happened to me ever since my father died. Um, and she goes racing down the, down the stairs to tell them to stop arguing, only to find that it really is only just her father right. rattling around pots. Mm-hmm. Right? And Trying they, to kill a rat, I believe. Mm-hmm. Probably. And um, and you could not tell her that it wasn't her, her mom was not down there. And then, you know, she gets sick, you know, and he goes to the bathroom and he picks her up. And they, there's, it's a very, very touching scene when she realizes that, you know, as sudden as it may seem, her mom probably had been in pain for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like mom was was all was in pain, and she's so like terrible. yes, and and she said, well then it, it's good that she died because she's no longer suffering. And he says that's a good moment. Man, there's so much of me wanted that movie to end right there, and I don't I I don't think I think where it ends is not bad. I right. think because there is a part of you that wants to see like you know you know what happens at least a, a little glimpse into what what is to come Mm -hmm. but i think we at that point were given enough that that could have been the end and in in, or even if in 1994 as it ends instead of going out over the soul train credits then you just got little like photos maybe photos around the house showing we can't cut the soul train credits that's that's a no-no. Also, mm-hmm. it's a little on the nose, but you have to kind of put a bow on it that this is her story and the end of her arc as she has moved into this role as okay. the new matriarch. No, you're right, because because you know. now, I like the Soul Train ed- ed- ending. Mm-hmm. However, when, it, th- when they do choose the end and you see her coming outside and she's leaning there all afroed up and just checking out the neighborhood. Yeah. And and you hear Don Cornelius closing out the show. Yeah, mm-hmm. a Soul Train. I. It could have ended there. I, it, 
to me, it could have faded to black and then came up on the soul right, train right, come dancers. back on a yeah. yeah I agree with that. I'll take that. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I actually went. If you ever get to Memphis, go to the Stacks Museum. Oh yeah. They have a whole wall, and and all is all they do on the wall is play footage from Soul Train. Oh really? We stood in front of that wall, I think, for forty five minutes and didn't move. Wow. Like just watching Soul Train. So I always wanted to solve the puzzle. Mm. Soul Train. Yeah. Yeah. It's the time capsule, man. Yeah. yeah. So. So so I. Or, or I'm assuming. But we got to touch on on the on the soundtrack for a, for a little bit. Yeah. Um. Because straight from Brooklyn, better known as Crooklyn. Somebody can. Well, somebody tell me what happened to Special Ed, who was one of the Crooklyn Dodgers. What happened to Special? I mean, Ed? he's still doing stuff. He was just here a few weeks ago, I think. I mean, but like, I thought Special Ed had the dude. What happened to all them '90s MCs? You know that boat that the elves get on in the middle of Lord of the Rings, and it's like Agent Smith and uh, what's her, what's her name's daughter, and they get on the boat and they sail away. Agent Smith and Mick Jagger's daughter. That's Mick Jagger. Don't be dumb. Stephen, uh, what's oh, dude, oh Stephen, uh, Stephen Tyler, Tyler. Stephen Tyler. Tyler. So it's, it's the like other white right. Lip guy. So it's Agent Smith and Stephen Tyler's daughter, and they get on the boat and they go. And they sail away yes. to elf heaven because what's going on in Middle Earth has nothing to do with them anymore. And they tell Ur Ned Starks that like we're not gonna be here with you, you on your own. But then like Elf Hawkeye stays. That's what happened to all the 90s MCs. They got on the boat. <laughs> So, so, and they went to hip hop heaven because so, that was that was like the elf song they were singing and then the boat sailed away so that's where special ed is that's where special ed is he's there with like the fushnikins and the dream warriors wow wow and x clan and x clan i'm sorry what were we talking about <laughs> Um, anything you want to say about, this, about the soundtrack, George? Welcome to the Michelle Mission. Hi. Uh, love the soundtrack. I remember distinctly because uh, one Christmas, I had the Crooklyn soundtrack, and one Christmas the whole family got together, and everybody has that one cousin or uncle that like, when they come over, you like, put all your good stuff away. Mm-hmm. And he <laughs> asked to borrow, maybe, my... Uh, <laughs> Crooklyn soundtrack and my soul food soundtrack and mm. I never saw them again. You never wow. saw them again. And I'm still mad about that. And I'm you're still, still upset mad. About I would be. That. Yeah. I'm a child of of uh 70s musicians who, you know, played Sly and the Family Stone and Stylistics and all all this wonderful like 70s soul R&B funk music. So mm-hmm. that again is in my wheelhouse so i love i love the soundtrack yeah i love the soundtrack it's a great soundtrack and i'm i'm a as far as soul train is is concerned i like to i'll go on youtube and i'll watch the soul train from the 70s i'm not i don't i don't like to go back to the 80s 80s got weird yeah it got real weird it was all like rosie perez like you know oh no that part was coochie dancing but that that was easy yeah sorry you want the sore spot uh that tisha campbell stuff so yeah I'm, I'm on thin ice i can see um yeah i'll go on youtube and i'll just watch like you fall down the youtube hole and you just watch yeah. soul train videos 
think plot how you would do it back in the day to get oh, you yeah. a partner. Oh, yeah. yeah. So would you recommend that people see uh, Crooklyn? I would definitely recommend, if you haven't already watched Crooklyn, listeners, I would definitely recommend getting you some Crooklyn in your life. You will laugh. You will cry. You might learn something. Mm. If you're lucky. If you're lucky. I would also recommend Crooklyn. Although it's really, really happy and fun and warm. And then it gets really sad. Which is why I don't watch Crooklyn that much, quite honestly. And you can do that little finger flick thing that the little Puerto Rican girl Ooh. does. Oh, yes. yes. I still do that to this day. That's mm. all right. She brings it. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely uh, recommend people to see Crooklyn. I think it is uh, one of my favorite Spike Lee films. Not my favorite Spike right, Lee film, right. but definitely one of them. And uh, I was a big fan of this, and I enjoyed rewatching this. And I'm, I'm a fan of like almost anything Alfred Woodard and... Uh, um, Delroy Lindo do. I wonder, um, does anyone know, did Zelda Harris do anything else significant? You know, I Googled her, as I tend to do, because I don't have a life, and uh, I think she just went to school. Oh, okay. Yeah, so she's like, she's kind of like the uh, the black, not the black, but she's like the, the woman of color uh, counterpart of like the, the Winnie from the Wonder Years, where she didn't really have to, like she's just so within yeah. herself that right, she just went right. to school got herself an education and she's she's doing well i did hear something about her and the the little puerto rican girl like re reunited maybe like a year ago or something oh, really? like that yeah oh that's cool yeah were they were they stealing stuff <laughs> i don't know they were stealing hearts that's what they were stealing doing stealing hearts oh very nice stealing hearts all right, ladies and gentlemen, if people um, have been checking out this show and it's like, hey, I like that Jordan. They say she's a keeper, but I want her for myself. They like the cut of your jib. And they want to get jib. in touch with, with Jordan. How should they do so? If you would like to argue with me about Game of Thrones plot points, you can do so on the internet, on Twitter, at Cinnamon La Femme. That's Cinnamon La Femme. Uh, you can check me out every month at Amalgam Comics. I co-host the uh, Trump show, Comedians Against Trump, with my co-host Steve Clark. And, of course, I co-host Philly on Location every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time on WPPMLP, which is, of course, people-powered media. Dumb. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, guys. I had so much fun. So you, don't, you don't even know. You don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I love Jordan. Yeah. She's a, she's a whole nut, man. She's cool as hell. Um, this has been a, a great fun next week ladies and gentlemen as promised last week mm. we will be bringing you Black Belt Jones Black Belt Jones starring uh, Jim Kelly and Jim Gloria Ke Hendry Gloria Hendry yes that will be a lot of fun uh, uh, we will actually be going back yes. to the 70s yes before that film where and is Bucky and what has he had that's all I know about exploitation. <laughs> <laughs> Um, have you chosen a film that you want to do after this? Yes. Do we want to talk about it now? We can. So just give people a heads up, because uh -oh. they they watch Black Belt Jones if they prepare for this week. So, well, <laughs> I believe that in these times and spaces that we are in oh, at oh this moment, that this is the perfect moment 
to look at a film that we have talked about. I, I think you know. I think one of the things that we are risking doing at this moment is that you know we're, we're just going to do stuff that we love, mm-hmm. and you know we'll spend the whole time seeing stuff that we love. And I think part of it is because we are marching down to. 100 so we're pulling out the good stuff but there are some films that i think are iconic that we may not necessarily like therefore oh boy the week after next i would like for you and me to explore the academy award winning film from 1989 jessica tandy Morgan Freeman, a great supporting turn by Dan Aykroyd, based on the Broadway play. Oh yeah, on the show mission, you and I will be talking about Driving Miss Daisy. Thank God, because I love this movie. Well, then you and I are certainly going to have a difference of words. (laughs) I can't wait. That's two weeks, ladies and gentlemen. A gauntlet has been thrown down. I could light a small Midwestern city with the power of my hatred for this film. So. And I could light every light in Texas with my love of driving Miss Daisy. I adore this movie. Well, that's going to be quite an episode then, won't it? We may have to get a referee. <laughs> Jordan, you want a referee? I will referee. Morgan Freeman can do no wrong, though, right? Oh, oh. Morgan Freeman can clearly do wrong. Oh, okay. You're my only friend, kindly Negro man. That's coming up in two weeks. Next week is Black Belt Jones. Week after that, Driving Miss Daisy. We are on our way to 100, ladies and gentlemen, here on the Michelle Mission, which you can find every week at MichelleMission.com as well as available for download and streaming pleasure on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn, the CLNS Podcast Network as well as the Black Tribbles Podcast Network and it is available as a radio broadcast in edited form every Wednesday at 8pm on WPPMLP 106.5 FM in Philadelphia and Camden, People Power Media, phillycam.org slash radio. Hit us up on Facebook, like us at on Instagram, all at Michelle Mission. Follow us on Twitter at Mission Michelle. And please, if you really, really love us, tell a friend that they do and subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a ranking and a ratings because that really helps people find the show. All right, we got to get out of here. That's Jordan. He's Vince, I'm Len, and in parting we say, we'll see you when it's time to meet again. time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again.